Hey, and uh, super congrats to you guys. I think I saw all three of your names recently on the promotion list, which is awesome. Congrats. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Very, very much appreciate it. Very well deserved. It's super cool that the three of you guys are doing this together and have the opportunity to have a, have that big milestone together. I mean, now we're all three going to be these old crusty FTOs. Who's going to listen to the podcast now? Well, Greg was already (laughs) old and crusty. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't know about the other guys, but uh, you know, I th- I'm pretty sure that this podcast made its way onto uh, an awards package at one point in time or another in the last year. So, uh, seat 41A <laughs> uh, starter definitely promote. The views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Guests on the show get a free notebook. Ooh, People nice. who who are interested can purchase one for fifteen dollars. I'm probably more excited oh. about that than I should be, but that that's okay. <laughs> I'm still waiting to see a seat forty one a podcast coin. I'm, I've been waiting for that one to come out. Oh, I, I need the patch first. I want to wear it on Fridays. I need the patch, then we'll do a coin. Mm, yeah, we should probably sell more notebooks first. Yeah, we need to be in the positive. <laughs> and plus we're 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 almost to the point if you can believe this uh gentlemen we've been doing this for a year now so i have to renew our zoom licenses and pay our llc fees (laughs) all that stuff so guys start hustling those notebooks hello everyone and welcome to season two of the c41a podcast i'm greg taylor my co-hosts today are I'm Christopher Foote, and my favorite type of eggs are fried eggs. You son of a... <laughs> and I'm Minoj Rima, and I like my eggs deviled, actually. And again, I'm Greg Taylor, and I like my eggs scrambled with cheese. And joining us today, we also have a guest, Andy Auerbach. How do you like your eggs, Andy? Hey, Greg, I like my eggs over medium. All right. So, first of all, Chris, what's wrong with you? Yeah, okay. All right. And thank, <laughs> thank you for uh, not moving forward with this conversation. I think we have to like clear the air here a little bit. First yeah. of all, M- Manoj, I almost went with deviled eggs. It was really, it was Look, a really tough decision. They're Boiled very eggs, underrated. Eggs. I feel like people forget about them a lot until they're there on the table and you're like, oh yeah. And they're like really good. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. So Greg, the reason I, I went with fried eggs is really just how easy they are to make. I usually have two or three fried eggs in the morning. They're super easy to make. They only take a couple of minutes. I mean, what's the what's the hang up with fried eggs? I don't understand. Scrambled scrambled eggs are great and all, but it's a lot of work. I guess you know maybe that ten seconds of whisking with a fork uh, really you know sets sets you back on your day. You know, from a really really hey, carpal tunnel well oiled agenda. <laughs> I run my morning very efficiently. I don't have time to to scramble. <laughs> it just plop straight in. I don't know. Maybe it's like the the egg white. And I'll, I'll admit I'm not the best egg cooker in the world. Um, and so just 
fried whites have like a, a maybe a metallic or or some sort of, of taste to them that I just that just doesn't appeal to me. I like to scramble them up. I think you might be cooking them wrong. Yeah, I've never ate a meta- I've never ate a metallic egg. Yeah, I'm probably just overdoing it. Are you talking about that little crunchy part, like on the outside, that you know, kind of a little weird and like see through? That, that's no, like not, the, that's I mean, the best part. Yeah. Okay, uh, I will. I will freely admit that not the greatest egg cooker, so I'm probably just doing it wrong. And so, if uh, someone wants to show me how to make a fried egg at some point in time and uh, convince me otherwise, I'm open to the idea. All right, so. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we've got guest with us today, Andy Auerbach, who's working up at DHHQ. A- Andy, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks, Greg. I'm very happy to be here. I've been listening to you guys for for a few weeks now. It's it's great for my commute to and from the queue in the DC traffic. So it's uh, super cool to be here. Yeah, yeah, we're really glad to have you. Uh, so Andy and I met, I guess maybe about a year ago now. I think it was at the logistics symposium. And then both being in the readiness world right now, we just uh, happened to bump into each other a few times. And so, you know, really great guy. And uh, we're glad to have you on the, uh, happy to call you a friend. And we're glad to have you on the on the episode with us. And also like to just mention and give it over to Andy here to talk about, he's really championing an effort to start up a medical service corps Toastmasters chapter. It's really exciting news, and as a former Toastmasters member myself, and and excited to join uh, the club that you're standing up. First of all, great work so far putting that together, and and why don't you tell us a little bit about what you got going on? Thanks. Yeah, so Toastmasters is an organization that I've always wanted to be a part of, and just never had the opportunity to, and so a retired MSC Colonel Marianne Moriel. She had put out that she was interested in starting an MSC only chapter or a club. And so uh, she and I started collaborating and she's been a Toastmaster for for a very long time. And so what we're trying to put together is just that, a, a club for MSCs to be able to work on skills. So for those of you who don't know, Toastmasters is an international organization. It is primarily directed towards improving public speaking. And so the, the main way they do this is through their, their normal meetings. So in a normal meeting, there's one person or two people who they know they're going to give a speech. They've prepped it. They've, they've typed it out. They're ready to go. And so they give their, their presentation. And then everybody else that is at the meeting is able to have certain roles where one person might be an um counter, you know, not just ums, but any sort of pause one person is paying attention to the words that they use. And so everybody has specific roles in the in the meeting. And so it's it's really cool. I got to see a demo meeting where retired Colonel Morale gave a presentation and I saw the feedback they gave to her. And it was it was just it was great. It was uh, immediate, uh, real-time, specific feedback to her speaking, her presentation, her ability to speak like that. And um and then the, the cool thing is you can kind of, you know, you can come back so you can give a speech and then come back later and get more feedback based on, you know, what you've improved on. And so that's one part of the meeting. The next part of the meeting is uh, table topics. And so they will have people who kind of sign up, but they don't know what they're going to talk about and they only have a short amount of time. So what, what we typically would call an elevator speech. And so they have an opportunity to kind of get a, a topic they weren't ready for, but give a quick speech about it. And again, get that immediate real-time 
feedback. So that's kind of the, the primary driver for how uh, people can get better at public speaking is through the meetings, but they have other opportunities as well. So they have these international competitions where people can, you know, give a speech and compete against uh, all these clubs across the world. They also have a really awesome training and education program uh, directed at how to not only, you know, kind of physically give a speech, but different things you can do in speeches. You know, one of them is a track on how to include humor in your speeches and things like that. So what I really see for MSCs, you know, public speaking is just a core competency for MSCs, right? Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a just joined second lieutenant or, you know, you're a colonel or, or a general, you, you have to be able to do public speaking. And there's different types of speeches that we give. So, you know, the type of speech you might give at an exec staff uh, briefing you know, as a flight commander will be different than the type of speech you want to give as a squadron or a group commander at a commander's call. And so I think what's unique is the ability for MSCs to come to this Toastmasters club in particular. And, and one, you know, we're very transient. So you may be able to join a Toastmasters club locally. Uh, but then when you move right now, you got to find another one if you can and, and get kind of plugged into them. Um, so staying with a specific club throughout your whole career, but then also to kind of target the type of speeches that we will most more likely give as MSCs. And so that can help, you know, improve your ability there. And uh, so I think it's great for new MSCs who are like I was terrified to give to speak at an exec staff. But I think it's also great for you know, seasoned MSCs or retired MSCs who have a lot of experience, they can mentor the younger MSCs. Uh, and, you know, maybe they're working on their ability to speak for, you know, after they retire, or if they are retired in their in their new career. So I, I think this is a, a, an awesome opportunity. Um, very excited to be a part of it. And just, uh, just excited to see where it'll go and how it might help folks in our core. You know, Andy, I've, uh, when you were talking about table topics, it kind of reminds me of the show Whose Line Is It Anyway, which is classic comedy. And I know I know that the table topics aren't always humorous or they don't need to be humorous, but just just the idea of you get a prompt and then you have a couple of seconds to think about it and then go. Is that pretty much uh, what, what it's like, but maybe maybe fewer laughs or fewer songs? Like, well, exactly uh, what um, I thought about Wayne, Wayne, Wayne Brady. Yeah, and it totally depends on the club, right? I mean, there's no reason we can't have fun. I think if you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. But yeah, I mean, the the skill of being able to think quickly, know your audience, and put something together is is invaluable. I can't tell you how many times, you know, you just you're not ready for for something, and and you realize you have an opportunity, or someone asks you a question. And this could be right walking down the hallway with uh, maybe somebody from exec staff or or one of your one of the people in your flight, and they ask you something, and you just you know something in your head rings. Oh wow, this is a moment. Let me let me buy into it. And then you know going to events like ACHE uh, where you're you're literally in an elevator, you know, in uniform, and someone asks, "What do you do?" or you know. Um, or if you're, you know, if you have an opportunity and you're you're working at a headquarters or you're working with senior leaders and, you know, you happen to be uh, in their proximity and they ask you a question, right? That ability to digest the the question, uh, figure out who you're talking to, 
and be able to come up with something coherent is a very, very valuable and powerful ability to have. So I think practicing that, and, and ultimately, I think that's what this comes back to. You know, we talk about, you know, we're in the military. So we all know if, if you talk about physical training, you know, getting reps and sets in and, and doing all these things. Um, but what I think we're not great at and where there's not a, a really a safe place to do things is to be able to get reps and sets in as far as your professional uh, abilities. So I think Toastmasters gives you that safe space venue to have a group of people who are encouraging and, and really everybody that's there just wants to help you get better um, and to be able to get those reps and sets as far as public speaking, uh, speaking on the fly, things things like that to improve us as professionals. Well, you've uh, you've sold me. I've already I've already submitted my paperwork to join the club, so we're just uh, ready. Uh, you know, like bringing together as many people as possible. So, if anyone's out there is interested in joining, uh, how do they go about doing that? Uh, so, just shoot me an email for now. Um, you can you can either find me in the global. I'm the only hour back, which is difficult to spell, but you can also email me uh, my my personal email. We can put that on the on the Facebook or I don't know how you guys, what's the best way to do that. But yeah, just uh, shoot me an email, drop me a line and uh, I can send you, there's just a, a quick, easy form to fill out and and that's about it. No, that's awesome. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, what we can do as a club. I, I do like to tell this public speaking story uh, occasionally it's a it's a pretty good one it's only slightly embarrassing um and doesn't involve poo water in any way shape or form the uh when i was in tech school enlisted tech school at shepherd air force base we had a student council right and and so i joined the student council and i ended up you know at some point in time being president because it was so, so transient, you know, so if you kind of hung out for more than a month on the student council, you go to three meetings in a row and they'll make you president. Anyway, so uh, I was president and we had a section commander, uh, MSE. She was uh, First Lieutenant Carrie Massini. She was the section commander. And she said, you know, hey, Airman Taylor, we're going to have a commander's call and I want you to get up in front of everybody and talk about the student council. And up until this point, I had had no public speaking experience at all. And so I, I, I didn't know I was ignorant to what to expect. You know, there was just, you know, a, a underlying fear of whatever was about to happen. And, you know, I'm standing in the wings in this theater. There are probably 300 some people there or so. And, and then I get introduced and I go up there and I, I don't remember what I said. I kind of like blacked out. It probably wasn't as eloquent as Will Ferrell in old school when he blacked out during the debate scene, but I said words. All I remember is I was violently shaking the entire time. And I had a death grip on the podium because my nerves were just so on fire in that moment. But I got up there and I did it. I, and then, and then afterwards, honestly, I've yet to really be as rattled as I was in that moment. You know, a crowd of a hundred, a crowd of ten. I've just been a lot more comfortable with the thought of public speaking. I don't necessarily like to do it when I'm not prepared, but that's one of those things where 
you know, getting out there and getting that experience and, and especially being able to do it in a low threat environment is, is a really great opportunity that if, if public speaking is something you want to get better at, but you don't know how to do it, this is a, the phone is ringing, you know, pick it up. So Andy, if somebody is interested in joining, I know you talk about how they can reach out to you. Uh, what about folks that might be curious about the commitment involved? Um, I, I imagine that might be a barrier for some people. I don't know what level of commitment it is. Would you be willing to share what you expect the commitment would be? Yeah. So right now it's it's kind of up in the air only because, so you need 20 members to charter a club. We're not quite there yet. And so really the first 20 members that are what we, what, you know, what are called charter members We'll get the opportunity to vote and really, at least starting off, uh, figure out and set the rules and the parameters for what the club will do. It doesn't mean it won't change, but at least for the beginning, those first 20 members are the ones who have a say in how often we be and, and things like that. So I would expect this will probably be uh, for, for an average member once or twice a month, maybe an hour long. Uh, it shouldn't be a, a significant time drain in your life. You know, we're also obviously aware of the fact that we have MSCs globally. And so part of the conversation we've been having with the members that have submitted applications are, you know, do we do we have different meeting times? Maybe one meeting time is more directed towards kind of the Eastern uh, side and one more towards the Western side. And so, you know, we want to be very respectful of everybody's time and very aware of the fact that, you know, I... I work at headquarters. I have a wife and three kids, so I don't have the most amount of time in the world to do these things either. There are some leadership opportunities that might take, you know, maybe a little bit more time, but ultimately I would say, you know, again, one or two meetings a month, about an hour for a meeting. And and there's no, there's, it's not mandatory that you have to be at every single meeting either. Uh, so potentially as low as, you know, one night or, you know, one meeting, per month for an hour. And, and really the only reason we would want to make sure we're having more than that is to, depending on how many members we have to make sure we're giving everybody the opportunity to, to public speak. So if we have, you know, let's say we have 40 members, you know, once a month is probably not enough to give everybody an opportunity to, to, to present and speak. So um, that's kind of what we're, what we're shooting for. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that and kind of just painting the picture about some of the the commitment involved. And so I'm assuming this will all be done virtually. Is that correct? Again, that's that's the thought process for now. Uh, is virtually. I think it'd be cool if we do have some opportunities for in person. I mean, that's that's kind of how Toastmasters is um, is structured or, or created is to have in person. But you know, again, the our our population is not the normal population that Toastmasters has. But I do think there are opportunities, you know, let's say there's a bunch of people in the NCR or in certain regions like San Antonio or Colorado Springs or um, things like that. You know, if they want to host in-person meetings, that that's awesome. I think also maybe some larger events, you know, maybe some of the like ACHE or things like that, where there's a lot of embassies together. If we happen to have a lot of Toastmasters together, you know, that we could host a, an in-person meeting as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. It, it definitely sounds exciting and certainly sounds manageable. 
and and something that will have something for everyone and and an opportunity to fit into the schedule. So thanks for sharing all that, and thanks for really leading the way on this. This uh, really really awesome initiative. Thanks, and uh, thanks for letting me talk about it on your show. So Andy, you know, I'll just ask you, uh, what are you reading right now, or what have you read recently? So I'm I'm a bit of a voracious reader. Um, I think I'm constantly either I have I have probably about five books on my nightstand, but I also have uh, audio books that help me deal with the DC to and from traffic. Right now, I'm primarily listening to you guys actually catching up on on the show. So uh, it's been super cool for that. But actually, just finished the audiobook range, which I think uh, actually is really powerful and really speaks to medical service corps officers in particular. So I, I literally just finished range and then I started your guys podcast. So uh, that's probably the most recent one. Well, Andy, I want to take a moment to just thank you very much for coming on the podcast and talking uh, with us about Toastmasters and what you're reading and really sharing with the listeners, just a little bit about yourself and, uh, Good to hear from you again and and spend this time with you. And first time, I think, on the podcast where we'll announce that, you know, coming on the podcast has entitled you to the very prestigious, uh, to join the prestigious club of people who own the C41A notebook. Now, this notebook is available for purchase by reaching out to, the, to us here at the podcast, C41A.com or seat41a.com and c41a at gmail.com. But being a guest on the podcast, you have your very own notebook heading your way, sir. Woo! I hope there's a good, like, you know, clapping brought in for for the that reveal. So d- don't forget, though, Greg, that the, the book also entitles holders to access to special content that we have uh, available on our website, uh, and accessible uh, once the the book has been purchased or acquired by uh, having come on the show. It's very true. That's very true. Yes. Uh, in order to get a peek at that exclusive content, you need to have in your possession a C41A notebook. Well, thanks, Andy. Uh, thanks for coming on again and uh, keep on listening and and you're welcome back anytime, my friend. Yeah, would love it. Thank you guys so much. It's been it's been awesome hearing you guys and and working through the podcast and super cool to be to be here. So thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. All right. So the other book that we want to talk about during this episode comes from General Flowers's learning list uh, that was put in the most recent episode of the Bluff. And that is the book, The Heart-Led Leader by Tommy Spaulding. Now, we all uh, read or listened to this book recently, and The Heart-Led Leader uh, has a couple of key takeaways, mainly through storytelling. What uh, Tommy Spaulding does is, is he's imparting the lessons of learning from, that learning from others isn't enough. Uh, you have to act upon that learning uh, in order to, you know, lead from the heart. Love and leadership are allies, not enemies. Um, let your let your heart guide you uh, in your leadership decision making. What and what 
understanding that what you want isn't always the priority, who you are and you know your values and, and understanding who you serve is more important than just what you want. He mentioned several times during the book about the 18-inch journey from your heart to your head. And uh, so he uses that as a, as a reference for not suppressing the feeling that you have about what's right or, or noticing when there's an issue that, that needs you know, compassionate leadership. Some of the tools that you can use to really lead from the heart is that when you're speaking with someone to direct your full attention to the individual you know, I think a lot of people fall into this trap where, you know, we're waiting for our turn to speak and we're thinking about what we're going to say next and not so much uh, actively listening to the person that we're talking to. Another one is to appreciate the person, not the post. Uh, so there, you know, if people are more than just their duty title or their position on the organizational chart and Really connecting with somebody as a person is a way to lead from the heart uh, and, and not think down on people that are beneath you in the organizational chart or overly praise or revere people who are above you or think that those people don't have problems. Uh, and then lastly is understanding, especially if you're in senior leadership positions, that population, the la larger population of of workers or the working class, you know, in your organization, they often look at people in leadership positions as sharks is the way that he, he describes it and how they're very much, they're, the, the perception is very much that they are out for themselves. They're hunting for mistakes or they're hunting for things that are part of their pet peeves or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, you really have to work hard when you're in a leadership position to counter that narrative. So overall, The Heart-Led Leader is a book that mainly uses storytelling to uh, convey these lessons and try to inspire the reader to acknowledge that, you know, their heart, their empathy, and their EQ, uh, you know, to use, steal a modern uh, phrase for emotional intelligence is uh, you need to recognize and embrace those skills uh, to be an effective leader in in today's world. So, Manoj, what did you have any key takeaways from the book, or any anything in particular that uh, that struck out to you? Hey, so yeah, those are really good thoughts, and they definitely resonated with me. Um, everything that you were saying, I'll be honest, I just finished this book a few hours ago via audiobook, so it's kind of fresh in my head. And I did like the stories. The stories are very motivating, very moving, touching stories. I know there are some aspects where, like, he's talking about this way of leadership and this way of thinking, but, like, in his way of thinking in some of the stories, he's going against the, what he's trying to discuss in the book. But I think it shows him as a, a little bit as a human. Like, everyone makes those mistakes. Everyone goes about the wrong way of thinking sometimes and you have to change internally and you know the one aspect that he talks about I, that really re resonated with me was uh, transparency uh, because I definitely try to look for that in my leaders in my leadership if one of my leaders is very transparent where we're at as a as a program as a as a group as a workplace it, it doesn't feel like someone's just trying to hide something and just say everything is you know, everything is awesome. Yeah, you know, it's not always that case. Like this, that's just like, it's just not always it. And sometimes 
we mask that to our senior leaders to say, you know, we're doing a great job. We're keeping these metrics up. We're doing awesome. Don't worry about anything. Your, your med group's great. But when you get down to the trenches, it's like, no, it's not. We are struggling down here. Morale is low. So I try to be transparent with my folks to a point where it's not demoralizing, but at least they know what's really going on. So we can all kind of try to get through this together. But the one thing I wanted to bring up is all these aspects that he, that he brings up throughout the book, they're great moving stories. The only thing I kind of disagree with or just question for y'all, how do you not get used or get overrun or get trampled by other people that might take advantage of you in these situations? Because there's always going to be that one person that uses your heart to maybe put you down. Even though you could have hundreds of the great examples of using your heart-led leadership for good, that one person that takes advantage of it and uh, wrongs you, like how do you recover from that? That I've had that happen a few times, and it really sucks. And it's like, now I don't want to lead from the heart anymore. I don't want to be gener- generous. I don't want to be truthful because you're just going to take advantage of that and use me. Uh, something to throw to you guys. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, Manoj, uh, I think that's a good point, or at least a good, you know, a good risk that is out there. And, and I, I felt like the author, you know, he he addressed that to a degree. You know, that that being a heart led leader doesn't mean being, you know, soft or being a pushover or not holding people accountable or whatever the case may be. You know, like imagining, you know, having a, a difficult conversation with somebody because they're not fulfilling their responsibilities and they start crying or have some story that they that they lay on you that you know is meant to get you to you know pity them or you know their excuses or whatever is you know uh, the heart-led leader isn't somebody who is just letting those things slide You, you can still be a tough boss but i think the point is that's meant here is you know it's not a black or white you're either heart-led or head-led leader right it's that a good leader is somebody who recognizes when they need to connect on an emotional level Mm -hmm. Um, but that isn't necessarily the only thing that you have this you're not your only tool in the toolkit to steal a phrase i don't know Did, did did you pick up that same message or or not really no, I, I did, but I guess it wasn't as prevalent as uh, some of the other stuff. And I, in a lot of the situations, I feel like he came across, there were just, I don't know if I want to call them like perfect situations that he could put this perfect example to, or perfect technique to use. I don't know if I'm going to come across the situation or I'm just missing the situations altogether that I could maybe put my heart and leadership first and uh, and strive to be like this guy, but Sometimes I just feel like it's, that's a tough thing to do, and, and especially in our jobs where maybe there's not a lot of heart-led or heart-first uh, leadership happening when it's all about the metrics and it's all about making sure we're doing things to a T and make sure the mission is complete. Sometimes that might this kind of leadership might be hard to fit in sometimes, but there are days and there are other uh, times when it, it fits in perfectly, honestly. I mean, I, I definitely love the, the saying, Mission first for people always. And that's how I try to lead whenever uh, whatever flight I'm taking over, whatever section I'm taking over. It's mission mission first, but people always, because it's the people that are going to take you where you need to be and take the mission where you need to go. <laughs> Chris, are you mission first, people always? Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> sorry. 
I was trying to come up with something witty to say to that. Uh, but I mean, of course, I mean, we're all going to say yes to that, right? We're mission first people always, but I, the, I, I can't stand that phrase. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying that I love the phrase, but I think if you asked any MSC what their priority is, they're going to reactively say that their people are their priority, their teams, their their colleagues, their coworkers, right? Because maybe, you know, like Greg, I know you have a, a maybe a smaller team than somebody in an MTF, but ultimately I think we all kind of will have that, that same response. And Manoj, I want to go back a little bit to what you were saying about how maybe you don't think that you're being a heart-led leader or that maybe you're not seeing heart-led leadership. I, I would challenge that a bit. And, and I'd say that I, I think you probably already are being a heart-led leader. Actually, I've, I've worked with you. I know that you are 100%. And I think it's just, it, it presents itself different than maybe what we're pulling from the book because of the, the examples that he gives are, I, I don't want to say extreme, but extreme is the word that comes to mind. These are the stories that he gave, I felt were stories that were meant to really push you out of your comfort zone and say, wow, could I really do that? Could I really forgive somebody who had done this to me or to my family? I don't want to give away any of the the, the stories. I don't want to like spoil the book for anybody that that decides they're going to read it. Uh, but I, I think, you know, you guys can associate some of the examples that were given. And some of those answers for me were absolutely not. There was no way. I could not imagine myself in that situation. Uh, and, and I think that was kind of to his point, but that's not going to happen every day. So what does heart-led leadership look like on a daily basis? And I think having worked with you, I think things like when you're decorating your office with dad jokes and you're using that uh, type of humor, uh, you're making yourself vulnerable to your team in a way you're, you're building trust, right? You're, you're using humor and humility to uh, build those connections with your team. And I, I think that th- things like that are, are what display heart-led leadership. Never thought of it that way. That's, that's a good point. I never thought of that as being putting myself out there and making myself vulnerable, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. And I'd also I, say I, also your, your need to roll your sleeves all the time. Shoot. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just an effort to connect with the people. Uh, you know, like I, I have forearms too. You know, I'm a human. Like what a metaphor. I never thought about that. Like he's like literally rolling his sleeves up, like to get the work done, you know, like what a, like how, what, what a, a symbolic leader. action. What uh, a leader, Manoj. Uh, yeah, my forearm, my forearms get very warm. I need ventilation. One of the points that I mentioned when I was giving the summary uh, is, is one of the ones that was a key point that really I think can apply or is, is something that, that we fall, fall prey to is the note to appreciate the person, not the post that they're in again, you know, because we wear our rank on our chests or on our collar or wherever our station relative to the person that we're speaking of is, is blatantly obvious when we're out there. And I think that it's easy to fall into the trap of, you know, especially when communicating with somebody of a lesser rank, right. To fall into the trap of, you know, just kind of, you get distracted by, this is just, you know, this is just an airman 
or this is just an NCO, or this is just a, a civilian, you know, doing their civilian things. And you're kind of like stripping away some of their, their humanity by simplifying them down to just their rank. And it, it, it goes upwards too. I mean, you know, the colonels have feelings too, you know, but I think we project an image of what, you know, that person is supposed to embody uh, to us onto them and then, you know, discount evidence when it's presented to us that is to the contrary. And so that that's a challenge I, I know that I, I deal with and something that I think I can really take away from this book as just trying to remember for myself is that we aren't just our ranks. We aren't just our, you know, time and service or our role in the, in the organization, you know, we're all, we're all people too. Now, Chris, did you have anything like that that came away or any thoughts on, on, on that takeaway? Yeah. I, I really like the way that you're looking at that. And I, had a conversation recently with somebody about very similar to that in, in that the person asking me, you know, how or why do you value that position and, and the person in that position and, and why is it that you're valuing that position or you're looking at that position because of what it will do then for you and help like elevate your career or, you know, you look at that position and think, you know, I can turn that into, you know, to Minosha's point, to metrics, to put on a 1206 or my OPB, right? Uh, as opposed to, Greg, what you're saying is is looking at the person, or even if you're just looking at the position and saying what value to the organization as a whole and to the people of the organization as individuals. Uh, so having that ability to kind of zoom in and zoom out almost simultaneously is, is important. And I think the book does a good job touching on some of that, kind of talking about those skills that maybe we don't necessarily talk about. We don't really talk about the heart and the emotions as much as maybe we ought to. And the, that 18 inch journey, you know, we don't talk about vulnerability, right? Greg, when we talk about like, okay, kernels, how many kernels do you know that you can say, Hey, I know that this person is genuine, they're authentic and, and they're vulnerable. And I can see themselves being vulnerable to make those connections to their people. I, I've seen some, but I can't say that I, I feel as though it's the exception more than it is the rule, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Yeah, I think we keep ourselves guarded, you know, and, and probably hide our authentic selves for fear of, you know, whatever, uh, being unprofessional perhaps, or or being perceived as unprofessional or that it's not accepted or, or whatever the case may be. And I think that gets back to Manoj's earlier point about transparency is, you know, the, the leaders that I've seen and have really appreciated, you know, are, are people who are their authentic selves and, you know, they look and walk in, you know, their actions and their thoughts and, and the things that they say are all kind of consistent and represent, you know, like this is who this person is like they're not playing games they're not putting on a face and it really you know builds instantaneous trust yeah i completely agree with that 100% and i think maybe some of why maybe it's hard for us to to get that way is i think our organization is inherently competitive 
uh, for many different reasons. Uh, we don't necessarily need to go like down that rabbit hole, but I think that that can be a barrier sometimes to being more authentic. Uh, when when the reality is though, is that when we start to act in that way and stop sort of looking at the competitive nature of things and say, hey, it's more collaborative, everybody really wins. At least that's you know, that's my opinion. I'm sure some folks would disagree with me on that, especially when it comes to stratification. At the end of the day, I think if we're all winning together, the organization's going to win. And that's really the the goal, right? So I think that within our organization, you know, however big a circle you want to draw for what that organization is, that people can be, you know, embody the the heart-led leadership ethos or or standpoint, but policy can't. Like policy isn't heart-led. Policy is rather cold and impersonal. And the larger the organization, the more you have to maintain structure using policy. And so the, you know, and and I guess the less human, the less heart-led that leadership from, you know, seven, eight levels above you is to wherever you are at your level in the organization like my supervisor my peers i can directly evaluate and i'm directly impacted by you know their ability to use their emotions and and recognize you know the need to connect as people the comac you know i've never met the person in my life i don't even entirely know who that person is right now but you know three four levels above me you know they could be the most amazing leader in the world but if i'm not you know i'm not experiencing that heart-led leadership i'm just seeing the policy letters that they put out and and the maybe the impacts that they have on their subordinates and you know there's a trickle-down effect but i can't attribute that to that individual no, and I, I definitely understand what you're saying. It, it makes that makes perfect sense. But going back to I think what you said before, you know, it's like you, you can still hold people accountable and do the right thing and make sure everything gets done that needs to get done for the mission or whatever, and be a heart led leader at the same time. And I, I kind of wish I saw both of that in the organization that we work for. Sometimes um, now locally, yes, I, we definitely see it, and at least I do. And but I guess another question to throw out there to y'all is another word that kept coming up to me when I was listening to the book was like genuine, like being genuine about it. Like you can do all these things and be very caring and nice, but I want to ensure that I'm not coming off as fake. I'm just doing this because I want to score brownie points with everybody. Like I want to make sure it's known that I genuinely care about that person's issue or I want to genuinely help this this person or this issue or whatever. So I don't know what you guys do to make sure, or even if, if, you, if you do anything at all, it just maybe comes off naturally or, or, or honestly, you don't care either way. You're going to do the right thing no matter what, even if it doesn't come off genuine to somebody else or not. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that. I feel like if I'm thinking about trying to be genuine, I'm not being genuine. So maybe there's some overlap there with, you know, just being true and authentic. At least for me, I was having a hard time coming up with things to say. Sorry, I should just get myself on mute. Sorry. <laughs> no. it's, it's okay. I mean, it's it's good conversation, but it gets kind of really uh, nebulous. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a great word. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been great today talking to the two of you about this book and getting back into the swing of things with season two and our reviews. Uh, thanks again to Andy Auerbach for coming on the podcast uh, today and, and talking with us and stay tuned to wherever you get your podcast from and, uh, and subscribe to the C41A podcast uh, for future episodes as we continue on in the season. And if you're interested in a C41A notebook, uh, reach out to us at C41A.com or C41A at gmail.com. As always, we really love getting feedback from the audience. So if you like or dislike something about the show, uh, or want to hear us talk about something in particular, please uh, do not hesitate to give us some feedback on Facebook, email, or if you run into us at a conference or one of our MTFs, uh, feel free to pull us aside and let us know what you think. So from all of us here to all of you out there, have a good night. C41A is an independent company and produced by C41A Media. Digital media support and creative director, Manoj Rima, marketing and IT, Christopher Foote, and director and outreach, Greg Taylor.